Good morning, church family. We are so excited that you have joined us for worship today, whether live or online via live stream. We're glad that you're here. Here are your big three announcements for the week. First up, men, we have a couple of exciting events coming up for you. Mark your calendars for next Saturday, June 17th at 8 a.m. for our quarterly men's breakfast. You don't want to miss this opportunity to fellowship with like-minded believers as iron sharpens iron. Simply text the word BACON to 910-424-1298. Also, if you haven't already done so, we encourage you to sign up for this year's annual men's retreat. We will be returning to Fort Cashwell September 29th through October 1st. We're going to have a fantastic time and we want you to be a part of it. You're going to hear more details about that in just a few minutes from Pastor Brad. But in the meantime, sign up to 910-424-1298. Text the word RETREAT to 910-424-1298. It's going to be a great time. Next up, our missions team will be returning to Jenkins, Kentucky, June 19th through the 23rd. You don't want to miss this opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The cost is $100 per person, and we are specifically looking for men with construction experience. So if this is you, please sign up today. You can do so by stopping by the church office and picking up an application. Well, VBS has come and gone, and what a wonderful week we had last week. A big thank you to all of our volunteers who worked so hard to make this a wonderful event. And our prayer is simply that hearts and lives were changed closer to Christ. But then the question is, where do we go from here? And the answer is that we never stop serving. We never stop taking the opportunity to enlarge God's kingdom. And one of the best ways that we do that here at Southview is simply by encouraging you to be plugged into a ministry on a consistent basis. So if you have not found a place to serve with the talents that God has given you, we strongly encourage you to do so. Simply text the word SERVE to our number 910-424-1298. You'll find out a lot of information about a lot of different wonderful opportunities. Be sure and do that today. And one of the simplest and easiest ways to stay plugged into the life of the body here at Southview is by downloading the app. And if you download the app, you can sign up for events, you can tithe online, you can find a journey group, you can access sermon notes, and you can do so much more. So we encourage you, if you haven't already done so, download it today. Here at Southview, there are multiple ways for you to give. You can give via the app that we just mentioned, or you can give at either one of the giving boxes located on the sides of the sanctuary as you exit today. If you are a guest visiting with us today, again, we're so glad that you're here. 
One of the easiest ways for you to connect with us is to text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This will allow us to begin to build that relationship that is so critical in the lives of believers. We can learn what we can pray over you about. We can help you get plugged into a journey group and so many more things. So text that word CONNECT today. And church, I want to leave you with this. Why do we worship? It's a great question, and I believe one that is answered in part by um, the book of Titus, chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 5, when Paul writes, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, I love that word, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the gospel. If you believe by faith in Christ, you have been saved. It has been done and accomplished, and we have a reason to celebrate. Let's worship today. Good morning, church. Let's stand and sing worship with us together.
your mercy never fails me all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived of the goodness of God all my life you have been This is Phil Dean. I want to come talk to you today about the men's retreat that's coming up in the last weekend of September this year. Just want to share my experience from last year. Um, we had a theme of one thing from Psalms 27.4, and uh, just uh, to give you what it meant to me, it was just kind of a primer for me to 
really get in touch with God and the one thing that he wants uh, us as men to do, and that is to follow him, uh, follow his direction for our lives uh, in leading our family, le leading at work, leading at church. And it was just uh, the, the messages we had last year, the, uh, the small groups, the fellowship was just outstanding. So last year, going to the men's retreat came at a great time. My best friend had recently moved up to Maryland to be stationed up there, and I was just kind of missing having godly fellowship and community, and I got to experience that again at the men's retreat. In Psalm 133, the psalmist speaks about beholding how good it is when brothers dwell in unity, and the men's retreat last year was just an active illustration of that. So I'm looking forward to that again and beyond that, looking forward to seeing what God's going to do through a strong bond of brotherhood within the men here at Southfield. So uh, one of the things I took from last year's men's retreat was uh, it actually started at the planning process. Um, the group of men that came together, uh, we were planning for a hundred, hoping for 30 guys from Southview. Um, and through prayer, we actually seen how great God was, and he multiplied that 30 by 3 and sent 100 men from Southview down there. Um, and then once we got there, being able to see the different generations of Christians um, interacting um, as men, as Christian men, uh, for that retreat was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and on top of that, hearing different men get up um, whether in the small groups or in the worship service and listening to people's testimonies and seeing that the struggles that I was going through in my life or have went through in my life are not just my own. Um, guys, Christian men um, have the exact same struggles and that is what I took out of last year's men's retreat. My biggest takeaway was seeing and experiencing a large group of men that had the same purpose and same goals and same desires of wanting to lead our families to grow as men and to grow closer to one another and build a community and a church that has the same purpose and that's to serve our Lord and glorify Him. Fast forward to this year's men's retreat, what I really, really am hoping for is that not only do the, the hundred men that uh, went last year um, sign back up and go, um, but that we multiply those numbers um, by two or three um, and fill both buildings that we have and then seeing the depth of relationships that are going to be formed from last year's and this year's retreat, uh, not only inside the four walls of Southview, but hoping to expand those outside into the Hope Mills and Fayetteville area. Um, I'm looking forward to this year's trip, this uh, the last week in September, uh, and I'm looking for it to extend what started last year. Just looking to, to continue the growth that uh, I've gotten from that one weekend at the beach with 100 God-loving men. And um, guys, if you haven't signed up yet, I would encourage you to go ahead and do so. I uh, need to get this locked down so we can get everything planned. Uh, looking forward to a great weekend in the Lord uh, in September. Um, so sign up and let's go. 
Well, we are so excited about our upcoming men's retreat. So here's the thing. I know we've been talking about it for a while, and uh, you become a little tone deaf to that. So let me just go ahead and encourage you with this. June ends the sign-up, all right? So if you do not sign up by the end of June, we'll catch you next year, all right? So that means you got to sign up. you got two weeks left. Sign up, guys. Don't forget this. Um, we want to push hard on this. You're going to have a wonderful time. Please text the word retreat to our number to sign up or contact the church office to get signed up. Uh, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, a couple of quick housekeeping things before we jump in. Um, one, our hungry mission team is back. Uh, can't wait to hear from them. We'll do that in a few weeks, get a chance to hear from them about their trip, and then also have a trip going to Kenya. So we're going to let that team go and come back, and then we'll have an opportunity to hear from all of them. Uh, so really excited about hearing all that the Lord is doing with that. Uh, second, when it comes to missions, you saw on the announcements perhaps earlier about um, a mission trip to Kentucky that unfortunately this weekend has had to have been canceled. So we're not going to be able to do the Kentucky trip uh, this year. So if you're signed up for that, you're probably already aware of that. And if you just heard that and went, ooh, I want to go to that, sorry. Uh, but uh, we'll have uh, another one uh, come along so you can be a part uh, of that. Uh, also, um, I've been announcing for a couple of weeks that... This summer, I'm going to put a, a little group together, um, informal, uh, nothing, you know, too terribly um, serious, but, but um, an opportunity for people that perhaps are kicking around considering the idea of maybe God's calling me to something. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm just, I want to know more. How do I seek the Lord and what he might be calling me to? We just want to get a group together. Uh, we'll do a little reading, uh, spend some time together, talk, hear each other's stories, encourage one another as we're discerning what the next steps for the Lord might be. So if you're interested in something like that, uh, considering maybe God might be calling you to something, what that means, you don't know, but you're just interested in figuring that out. Come talk to me right after the service today, okay? Uh, come talk to me. We're going to put that group together and begin that. And so if you're interested, today is your day. Come let me know afterwards, and I would love to chat with you about that and see what we can do. Uh, we today are finishing up a series that we're calling In or Out. So we're going to finish this series up today. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Do not forget, if you have not bought your bad tie yet, you've got a week. Go buy that for dad. Um, and then in the summer, um, we're going to do a summer sermon series um, called I Love That Verse. Um, uh, you, you ever um, hear a verse or read a verse like, oh man, I love that verse. Um, there are sometimes, I mean, all of the Bible is God's word. All of the Bible points to Jesus. All of the Bible speaks very powerfully to us. But occasionally you're reading, you come across a verse and it's just like this giant harpoon from heaven just nails your heart. Um, we're going to take some time this summer and just kind of pick out some of those big verses that just seem to really just jump off the page at us. Some big, cool verses that just are life-changing. So we're going to do a series this summer called I Love That Verse, um, where you just hear that verse and go, man, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so doing that this summer, excited about that. That'll start after Father's Day. But today we're going to finish up this series, In or Out. And the idea behind this series is discerning whether or not you are in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. Are you a Christian or are you not? Um, you, you maybe saw this week um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I'm not going to do an Arnold impression. Uh, it'd be a bad one. Like, get in the chopper. Like, I don't, I don't have a good one. But um, 
Arnold had an interview, and somehow it turned to eternity and, and death. And, and, and I want to read Arnold Schwarzenegger's quote when he was asked about the afterlife. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, What happens after death? Nothing. You're six feet under. Anyone that tells you something else is a blanking liar. It's a fantasy. Um, there is going to come a day where Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to find out that he is horrifically wrong. He is catastrophically wrong. And the whole point of this series has been for you to understand there is a heaven, there is a hell, and you will spend the rest of eternity in one of those two places. That's it. There is no third door there is no other option you do not get to spend some time in purgatory until you atone enough for your sins you will spend eternity in heaven or you will spend eternity in hell and the only thing that determines where you spend the rest of eternity is what you do with Jesus Christ that's it it all boils down to one thing it that's it it's not how good you are it's not how hard you worked. It's not how you are compared to other people. The only thing that will determine where you spend eternity is what you do with Jesus. So we're spending time addressing this extraordinarily significant issue. Are you in or are you out? Are you in the kingdom or are you out of the kingdom? Are you a Christian or are you not? What have you done with Jesus? One of the scriptures that I have been quoting for you every week is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And we've been asking you every week to do that. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Really actually look at your life and determine, am I in or am I out? Am I a Christian or am I not? And the passage we've been diving into over these last four weeks is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. I want to read the whole thing to you again. I've been doing it every week. I want to read it to you again so you can see the whole thing in context. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gates. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, or grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I've been telling you um, this whole series that there are two big truths that we see in this passage as a whole. Number one, there are only two options. Again, you are either in or you are out. There is either heaven or there is hell. And you see that very clearly in this passage, right? There are two gates and only two ways and only two paths and only two destinations. Only two kinds of tree, only two kinds of fruit. Here today, only two kinds of foundation that you can build on. You are either a Christian or you are not. That's it. there's, There's no middle ground here. And so what are you? And the second thing that I've been saying throughout this entire series is uh, these people all thought they were Christians. The point of this passage, again, I've been telling you this week after week after week after week after week. This passage is not for the atheist or the Muslim or the agnostic or the Buddhist or the super you know, spiritual but not into the whole organized religion thing. Not the new age. This passage is specifically geared for people like you and I who are sitting in this room right now would call themselves a Christian, but really aren't. That is what this passage is for. That's who it's talking to. And so as we've been examining this, we've seen a few things, and we'll just kind of real quick go through what we've seen so far. In verses 13 and 14, we saw that it is easy to go to hell, but it is hard to go to heaven. Verses 15 through 20, we saw the way you live shows what is actually in your heart. It is not about what you say is in your heart. It is about your life. Last week, verses 21 through 23, we saw that just because you say you are a Christian and even do Christian things does not mean that you are actually a Christian. And then today, what we're going to see is there will come a day when the truth will be known. There will come a day when the truth is going to be known. And it's going to be obvious for all to see. There'll be no more hiding, and no more pretending, and no more hoping, no more working or striving. The end will come, the truth will be known, and that will be it. And we see that here in verses 24 through 27. Let's read that one more time. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Again, our big truth for today is there will come a day when the truth will be known. So Jesus ends his sermon here in Matthew 5 through 7 with an illustration of two men building a house. Right? So it talks about a man who builds it on the rock and a man who builds it on the sand. Now at first glance for us, we would look at that and go building on the sand. That's, we think like the beach. Like, well, that's stupid. Who would do that? Of course that person's unwise. That's ridiculous. Building it on the sand. Uh, but... In the Middle East here, you got to understand kind of context what's going on. So during the hot summer months when it was the dry season that did not rain, the sand would get packed tight like concrete. Like it, was, it was hard as a rock. And so 
you could theoretically assume that's a good way to build your house, right? It's hard. It's, it, is, it is like concrete. However, during the rainy season, the rains fall, that hard sand softens up and begins to erode away. So a wise builder during the hot summer months would know, even though this looks like a solid foundation, it's really not. So I've got to dig several feet down. That's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. It's going to be arduous. It's going to take time. But I've got to dig several feet down to get to the bedrock and build my house on that. Because when the rain comes, all this other stuff's going to get washed away. But that bedrock foundation, that's going to last forever. See what I'm saying? And that's what it's describing there. There's someone who took time to really make sure their house was built on a solid foundation. And there's someone who took a very quick, easy way out. Who just assumed it was fine because it looked fine at the time. And and he's using this as an illustration about the way we live our lives. When it comes to salvation. There are some that are going to do it the very quick and easy way. Because at first glance, it looks like it's right. But he says the wise person instead is going to do the hard work of examining and digging down deep. And making sure I'm building my salvation on a solid rock that will not be moved. It's, it's interesting with these two builders, these two houses, they had a lot of similarities. So if you kind of would work back through the text... As it's talking again about two builders, but it's illustrative of you and I. As you look back to the text, they both heard the same message, right? Verse 24 is going to say, everyone who hears these words of mine. Verse 20, talking about the wise man. Verse 26, the foolish man, everyone who hears these words of mine. They both heard the same message. Just like everyone sitting in this room here. You hear the same message. You read the same Bible. You've been proclaimed the same gospel. So we're all equal there. Uh, Secondly, they both went to the task of working. The wise man heard these words and then, verse 24, built his house. The foolish man heard these words and also went to build a house. The idea here is not, you then try to live a life. You try to be good. You try to live a Christian life. You try to do what's right. right. So they're both seemingly on the surface very simple, very, very similar still. They hear the same message. They both go, you know what? You're right. You you know what? Yeah. Both leave the room with every intention in the world of building a life for God. But then, interestingly, they both experience the same storm. Right? Verse 25, the wise man The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Verse 27, the foolish man, the the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. The language is identical. They both experience the exact same storm, but they have two very different results, correct? The wise man, the rains came, the floods came, the winds blew. But it did not fall. The foolish man, the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, 
And not only did it fall, but it says in verse 27, great was the fall of it. So here's what I want to unpack for a few minutes for us, okay? I think as we see this, there are two, in my estimation, as I read through the text, there are two very important things that we need to understand. Number one, what is this storm that's, that's coming at us, right? So again, everybody's, everybody's going to have the same storm. Every person in this room is going to have the exact same storm. However, not everybody stands up after. So we got to see what the storm is. And then I think the important thing is for us to find out what's the foundation. Right? What is this foundation that we need to build on so that we can weather the storm? All right, so first let's, let's unpack this idea of the storm. Look at verse 25 there. What is the storm? Again, verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Verse 27, again, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. So stop me if you've heard this before. So one of the things I do here when I teach and preach is I want to deconstruct wrong ideas and build back up correct ones. So stop me if you've heard this before. This passage is about the storms of life. That's the storms of life we all experience. Life is hard. Life beats you down. So we're all going to have these storms that come in our life. So we've got to make sure we're built on the rock so we can stand firm after. I genuinely believe that understanding of this passage is wrong. Here's why. I believe that this storm being addressed here is not the normal storms of life. I believe this is the ultimate and final judgment of God. Every human on earth will experience the ultimate and final judgment of God. And you will either stand up under that or you will be destroyed. Why do I think it's that? Two reasons. Number one is this. Look again at the text. It's the exact same storm. Right? It, we, we, the storms of our life that hit us, they're not the same, right? What hits me doesn't hit you. What's devastating for me isn't devastating for you. What's devastating for you isn't devastating for me, right? It's different. That's not what's happening in this text. It's the same storm. They're experiencing the exact same thing. Second is this. The Bible is clear. God uses this illustration of a storm to describe his judgment all throughout the scriptures. Remember Noah? When God wanted to wipe out the unrighteous from this world, what did he bring? A storm. The rains fell and the floods came. Sound familiar? This is the consistent teaching of the Bible. Isaiah 28, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 25, Ezekiel 13, Matthew 24, all speak of God's final and total judgment as a great storm that will come and wash away all wickedness. This is the wrath of God, the judgment of God that we will all experience. And again, notice, both the wise man and the foolish man had the same storm. Christian, you will stand under the judgment of God. 
1 Corinthians 3 tells us there will come a day where you will stand before God. 1 Corinthians 3 describes it as a fire instead of a storm. There will come a day where God will throw your life into the fire. And all of the excess junk that has no eternal value gets burned away. And from that we're going to see what jewels remain. The idea is every single human on earth will experience the judgment of God. Some will stand and some will fall. And when it says that you fall, again, why do I think it's the judgment of God? Again, looking again at the last verse, verse 27, the way it describes the fall. Verse 27, the house is going to fall. All right, so the, the winds come, the rains come, blah, 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 blah. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. It is not describing a bad day or a bad weekend or a bad year or a life-changing event. It's describing total and complete destruction. This is hell. If you cannot stand up under the judgment of God, you Go to hell. This great fall, Revelation 14, 11, describes it as this. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Great was the fall of it. There will come a day where this life that you have built will experience the violent storm of the judgment of God. Will your house stand? This is a guarantee for every, purpose, every person here. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, you, you, you will stand before the judgment of God. It is a guaranteed fact. As the sun will rise in the east and set in the west, you will stand before God in judgment. The question you have to answer today, today, because you don't know when that day is. Today you better find out. Am I going to stand or am I going to fall? Am I going to stand or am I going to fall? I agree with David Platt who summed it up like this. We must hear Jesus. When he says that there is a storm coming, he is not talking about what we so often identify as the storms of life. Those storms are real and they are painful. Storms like cancer and divorce and losing a loved one. And the Bible certainly addresses them. However, Jesus is referring to a cataclysmic reality, a final and utterly devastating storm of the future judgment of God. That is what awaits every one of us, me included. I will stand before God in judgment. And His wind and rain will beat against the house that I have built. And I have to ask the question, will I stand? So what determines whether or not you stand? It's clear from the text, the foundation on which you built your house, right? 
the wise man built it on the rock, and his house remained. The foolish man built it on the sand and was washed away. There will be a day where the truth will be known. That day will come. How do we prepare for it? Look back at the text. Verses 24 and 26 give us the answer. Look at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The difference is not in hearing. The difference is not in knowing. The difference is in doing. Do you do? The only biblical evidence, listen to me very carefully, the only biblical evidence to support the fact that you are a follower of Jesus is that you obey Jesus. The Bible speaks of nothing else. Nothing else. The only evidence you have that you are under the lordship of Jesus is if you obey Jesus. That's it. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you think. It's not about what you hope. It's not about what you did when you were a child. The only evidence there is. Do you obey him? Do you obey him? Or are you the foolish man? Listen, think about this foolish man. He thought he was fine. He was building a house. And that house, again, looked very similar to the house on the rock. It looked the same. In fact, some people probably would have thought the guy who built on the sand was a better builder. He built it quicker. He built it cheaper. His family's in the house. Well, this guy's still trying to find the foundation. Clearly, this guy is the real deal. It looks good. You're attending church. You're bringing your family. You go on mission trips. You're part of a small group. You probably even lead stuff. Your house looks good. But do you obey? Really? Do you obey? Do you obey? Perfect? No. But the question is, do you seek to live your entire life running away from sin and running to God? When you sin, do you confess and repent? And don't get all goofy, like, 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 so we, people, the Bible says that the heart is, is, is wickedly deceptive and we lie to us. No one lies to you more than you. No one in this world lies to you more than you lie to you. You lie to yourself thinking that you're better than you are and you lie to yourself that you're worse than you are, right? No one lies to you more than you lie to you. 
don't deceive yourself into thinking that just because you look around and you're better than other people doesn't mean your life is actually built on the rock. Just because you don't act like the fool that you used to act like doesn't mean that you've grown in Christ, right? I talk to people like, oh, man, I knew I've grown in the Lord. I don't go out partying every night like I used to. Well, I hope not. You're 45 years old. Right? You have a family and a job and a mortgage. You can't stay up past 9 p.m. Right? That's not Christian maturity. That's you got old. Like, I'm growing in the Lord. No, you're not. The question is, listen to me. In what you think, in what you say, in the intent of your hearts, are you living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And those are two very different things. Is your house built on the rock? During the last few weeks, I've been having some great conversations and some wonderful questions, and there's been a few that have really popped up more than once. And so... I want to kind of go through a few questions that have popped up more than once. Um, one that's popped up often is, well, I, I thought you just had to admit, believe, and confess, right? I mean, it's just admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sin, confess him as your Savior. That, yes, correct. I, I, yes and amen. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Confess him as your Lord. Yes, what I'm saying is this. The evidence that you did that is that you will now obey him. That's the point of this text. That's the point of the last four weeks. Not changing how you get saved. Showing whether or not you ever did. Admit, believe, and confess, yes. And when you do that, really, you're going to live the rest of your life obeying Jesus. Do you do that? I've been asked... What about Romans 10, 9? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I've been asked that numerous times. And the answer to that question is, yeah, I love that verse, man. Again, salvation is simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Yes. But again, you're confessing with your mouth that Jesus is now your Lord. What does that mean? He is your sovereign ruler and king, and you live the rest of your life obeying him. God raised him from the dead. He is the son of God who died in your place on the cross. And you see that, and you say, Jesus, take away my sin. I want to live my, the rest of my life for you. And then you do that. It's it's confessing and living Jesus as the genuine Lord and ruler of your life. You obey him. You obey him. I'm getting a lot of questions also about um, getting saved when you were, you know, asking Jesus in your heart when you were a kid, right? I asked Jesus, you know, in my heart when I was a kid, but I don't, I don't know if I understood it. I don't, know, I don't know if that took, right? I don't know if I understood it. Here's the great thing. Listen to me. The, again, the, the evidence of your salvation is not, you don't have to go back. Right? This isn't, we don't invent the flux capacitor and you go back in time and if you're over 30, Google it. You don't go back in time to, to examine you at seven. Did I really understand? Did I really believe? And why did I do that? Did I do it because my friend did it? Did I do it because I want to see grandma in heaven? Like, why did I do it? 
That's not the point. Did you understand everything at seven? No. You know how I know you didn't know and understand everything? Because I'm 45, I studied the Bible for a living, and I don't understand. Uh, we were driving here this morning, and I was having a conversation. My 11-year-old said, Dad, can you explain to me how Jewish, how Jews and Christians, how they're connected? See, okay, so we're driving here, and I'm trying to explain, like, grafting, right? Like, well, this, 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 Romans 10 says, uh, uh, and I look at him and go, does that make sense? He said, yeah, that makes sense. At least I think it makes sense. And I think that's kind of how all of us are when it comes to salvation, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that makes sense. The point isn't that you understood everything perfectly when you were seven. Listen to me very carefully. The point, the evidence of your salvation is not how intent your heart was when you were seven. The evidence that you're a Christian is that when you're 17 and 27 and 37 and 47 and 57 and 67, you show your love for Jesus by obeying Jesus. Don't go back and try to like, did I really mean it? Did I really think it? I'm not really sure what was in my head. Today, today, 1025 on June 11th, 2023. Today, do you live a life that loves Jesus by obeying Jesus. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. Not what you meant back then or thought back then or felt back then. Today. That little seed of understanding, that little, in your little seven-year-old heart, what little bit you did understand about, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sin and I want to ask him to forgive me of my sin. What little bit of understanding you did have, has that grown into today you love Jesus and obey Jesus? Jesus. If that's true of you, praise God, you got saved at seven. That's awesome. That's awesome. Childlike faith, man. It's like there's a verse in the Bible about it or something. It's great. But if you're 17 or 27 or 37 or 47 and you don't really live a life of obedience to Jesus when you were seven, that meant nothing. It meant it meant. Not just, I tell you that, it didn't mean nothing. It might just damn your soul because now you falsely think you're saved when you're not. Like it actually was a big deal, actually. I take that back. It wasn't nothing, it was huge. It gave you a false salvation, it inoculated you to the gospel so that you spent the rest of your life hearing messages like this and go, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that because when I got seven, I. No, today, do you obey Jesus? I want to read one more scripture to you. It's in the book of 1 John. We'll throw it up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. And I just want you to listen to the words. Listen, listen to God's word. 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Examining your faith, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, is actually pretty easy. 1 John 2 just told us how to do it. Do you obey him? If you say you're in him, but you don't obey him, 1 John 2 says you're actually a liar. Whoa, 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 I am not a liar. I mean it in my heart. Yeah, I know. You're lying to you. I'm not meaning you're lying to us. I, I mean you're lying to you. You're not really saved. But salvation is something. I don't want you to get that twisted, though. Salvation is understanding that you are a sinner and that you are in rebellion against God. And because of that rebellion, there is judgment that's coming. And there will come a day where the wind and rain and storm of the judgment of God will come against your life. That is a guaranteed fact. And the Bible would say, would implore you, would beg you, flee from the wrath of God that is coming. How do you do that? By saying that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin. Jesus came and he died for your sin was buried in the grave and he rose again. And salvation is this. You realizing that you are a sinner and that you are far from God, but Jesus came to save you from your sin. And so you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, take away my sin. Forgive me. I want to live the rest of my life for you. You are my Lord. And then from that moment on, the Spirit of God fills you and empowers you, and now you live a life of obedience. Perfection? No. But you live the rest of your life seeking to run away from sin as hard as you can and run toward God as hard as you can. If that is not your life, I want to beg you today, trust by faith in Jesus and be saved. I think there are people in this room, you're here for the first time. Someone tricked you. They're like, hey, let's go to breakfast. And they brought you in here. Here's a donut. Sit down. Others of you, you've been a member of this church perhaps for decades. And the last few weeks have been miserable for you. You have not enjoyed coming to church. You have dreaded walking in here because you knew what I was going to say. You're like, oh, he's going to tell me I'm going to hell again. And I think he's right. Oh, no. Get saved. What are people going to think? They are going to be absolutely, oh, man, I want to say words that I can't say because you ever like, the Holy, you ever like want to say a word and the Holy Spirit just like, nope. Mm-mm. So, They're going to be so stinking happy for you. They're just going to be over the moon. Over the moon. Trust by faith in Jesus. Realize, be honest about the fact that you've been lying to yourself this whole time. Say, Jesus, I want to come to faith. True faith. I want to live my life for you in obedience to you. I don't want to be fake about it anymore. I want to live my life in true obedience. I want to live for you. Do that. Do that. Whether this is the first time you're hearing the gospel or the billionth time you've heard the gospel, Jesus Christ came to save you from your sin and the wrath of God that is coming. Today, build your life on the solid rock foundation. Trust by faith in Jesus seriously and sincerely in saying, I'm living my life today. I'm trusting by faith in Jesus. 
to be my Lord. I want to live for him. You came, you died for me. I want to give the rest of my life for you. I want to ask you to bow your heads. And if that's your desire today, I just want you to do that. I want you to trust by faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus Christ, I I know that you died for me and you rose again to save me from my sin and save me from the wrath of God that is coming. And I want to live the rest of my life for you and your glory. Save me. Save me. I want to live my life for you. Just in your own words, call out to him and say that. Again, Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is now your Lord. Believe in your heart that he died for your sin and then God raised him from the dead. And say today, Jesus, I know you are God. I know you died for me. I know you rose again. Take away my sin. You are now my Lord. I live the rest of my life just for you. I'll only do what you tell me to do. I'll stop doing all the things you tell me to stop doing. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll stay where you tell me to stay. My life is yours. I belong to you. I totally belong to you now. You're my master. Call out to Jesus like that today. Get saved. Our band is going to sing, and I want to encourage you just to stay seated. Just pray. You can come down front and pray. You can grab someone to pray with you. I'm up front here. You can talk to me or my wife or someone else, whatever. But I want to encourage you right where you are today. Truly do Romans 10.9. Believe that Jesus is God and he died for your sin and rose again. And confess that you are going to live the rest of your life with him as your Lord. And get saved. Jesus, do this in us. Do this today, God, like only you can do. We pray this in your name. Amen.
We thank you, Jesus, that we can build our life on a firm rock foundation and never be shaken. And Lord, I pray that we right now are building our rock on you, building our life on you, Jesus, as our rock, our Lord and our Savior, and we seek to live the rest of our lives in just total and complete submission and obedience to you because we, we can't imagine doing anything other than that. Your sacrifice for us to save us from our sin is so great. We have no other thought or choice or reaction but to live the rest of our lives in total obedience to you. We can't imagine doing anything else, and this is it, Lord. I pray, God, that we would be so overwhelmed by your sacrifice for us. We're so overwhelmed by the glory of who you are, Jesus. And of course we follow you in total obedience. And if there's anyone here today who is not doing that, God, I pray that you'll continue to show them and that they will turn to you. They'll see you, Jesus, for who you are, how beautiful and glorious and amazing you are. And they will turn to you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week. See you next week for Father's Day.